Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from liberal Kansas today, and Bear? No such thing. Say again? No such thing. No such... <laughs> I was going to say, if there's ever an oxymoron, that's it. But we need to be a little careful, a little kind to liberal Kansas, because they just went through some pretty terrific weather problems with the tornado blowing through there, as I remember it, late February, early March, and had some pretty severe damage done to the city. But nonetheless, we can't put those two next to one another and feel comfortable. Liberal Kansas does not compute. But that being said, we're in liberal Kansas, and last episode spend some time, maybe a third of the uh, episode to a half of the episode, beginning to make the switch to the opposite end of the emotionally charged communication situations continuum to those situations in which we find ourselves in support of someone who's experiencing a strong emotion. They're feeling emotionally charged. We're not necessarily emotionally charged, but you did a terrific job of commenting on what I take to be the lifesaver swimmer model in which you were commenting that If you're going to be involved with something like that, you don't want to get too close. You can't stand on the shoreline and yell swim. But on the other hand, you can't get so close that they will drag you under. And I thought that was a great example of something that we have to think about when we find ourselves in those communication situations. And then we took it a step further and began talking about the notion of people oftentimes when they get in those situations really want to help the person well-intentioned and want to fix this thing. And then what we did is I made the switch to a model that came out of a wounded healer by Henry Nowen, in which we made a distinction between caring and curing. And I think what we want to do is devote this particular episode to drilling down on that distinction. And the hope for outcome of this episode for our listeners would be not only is there a real distinction between caring and curing, but there is some real differences that you've got to be sure to pay attention to if you're saying, what I want to do in these communication situations is be caring. So, Bear, how do you make the distinction? I think both are well-intentioned, but there's a real difference in impact. Mm -hmm. And I think in the session you're talking about us doing today, I would hope that the listeners, if they come out with anything, they come out with the different. Mm -hmm. They come out with the distinction, and then they understand how to do both. I'm not so interested in teaching people how to fix, but I would be interested in teaching people how to care. Well, talk to me about some of the problems you see with people who come in knowingly or unknowingly with the idea that I'm going to help fix this. Well, first of all, one of the problems is it's presumptuous. Mm -hmm. The fact that you could presume that you could fix something that's touching people so, so deeply and that you have a diagnostic ability to really define and delineate what are the factors that are pressing on the person. I think that's the first problem. Mm -hmm. That when you want to fix things, you're presumptuous. You presume that you know it all. And I know as much as we stress active listening, that you would think that, well, if I listen for 20 minutes actively, I have a pretty good idea of what's going on. Well, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. Truth is, even therapists don't do that. Even people who are highly trained don't presume I can listen for 20, 30 minutes, then I've got the cure. 
then I've got the answer in, in terms of what I tell these people to do that will work. You made reference, I think, last episode, you certainly made it several times throughout several recent episodes about parents. And I think it'd be natural for parents to presume, I know what's going on here. I know what my kid's going through. I've lived with them for 15 years, 16 years, 18 years, particularly as I'm thinking of as teenagers. And I know what's going on here. And in fact, you don't. And it's also the parental nature to give advice, to say, I'm going to tell you how this works. I'm going to help you solve this. And so they go right into fix-it mode. I would go so far as to say that as a parent, if you've lived with a child that long, you probably do know what's going on Mm -hmm. in their experience and your previous experience, but that still doesn't mean you can fix it. (laughs) I think a lot of adolescents don't want to be fixed by their parents. (laughs) So even if you could fix it, they would resent it and they would push away from it. So even if you would be that good diagnostically with them, trying to fix it with them is generally seen as something they don't want to have happen. They don't want their parents fixing things for them. Yes. And it still puts you in the category as parent being presumptuous. You are presuming uh, not only I know what's going on here, but you're also presuming I have the right as a parent to be direct with you and get in here and fix it. But boy, my memory is my teenage kids reacted strongly to me being presumptuous that I really did know emotionally what they were going through, or I really could understand their life today versus my life as a teenager. So even though, as you said, I might know them, I might have the right diagnosis, I might even have the right answer, it still doesn't prevent us from being seen as presumptuous in the eyes of the person that's going through the emotional experience. So that is one downfall of really getting in there on the curing side. And then it gets even more serious when you're dealing with adults. Right. And the second mistake, I think, beyond presumption, not beyond as if more important, but just another distinction in in terms of that curing model, is you have to be diagnostically absolutely accurate. Mm. I mean, you really have to be accurate if you believe you can give people the steps that will cause all of that to change for them. And I don't know any of us who are probably that skilled that we can be diagnostically absolutely 100% accurate with other adults mm-hmm. and what they're going through. So that's the second you ask, well, what are the issues with choosing to try and cure? Well, presumption, diagnostic accuracy. I would think another one is, I don't think it's easy to test the depth of something or to get accurate the depth of something. Mm. Some things we think mm-hmm. are fairly easy to cure, fairly easy to move through and then get to the right spot on. Sometimes that collapses because we didn't assess accurately the depth of what's going on, not just what are the factors, the variables. How deeply is that hitting this person? So one of the things I think we're really trying to do is warn the listener that when you move into these communication situations where there is an emotional charge to it because the other person is experiencing something that really has them emotionally locked in, you want to be not only very cautious, you want to avoid if at all possible, even well-intentioned, trying to cure this for them. Because that's really not the role that's going to be successful. There's a lot of downside to that. You really have the potential of exasperating the situation rather than making it any better. So we're suggesting that your strategy for working in this communication situation is really to say, I'm going to emphasize and focus on caring. Now, talk to me a little bit about what you think that looks like. Well, let me back up just one step. Oh, okay. I really think people need to listen to what you just said. And what I heard you saying was, anytime you feel like you're going to go into fix-it mode, 
you need to tread incredibly softly. Mm-hmm. You need to do that with serious reservation and some fear so that you don't move in either too quickly or too hard in your efforts to do that. And fix it mode includes giving advice. I think exactly. lots of people say, well, I'm not going to fix it, but here's a good idea for you. <laughs> you just fell into fix it mode. Exactly. Exactly. Now, as for the caring mode, I would think the caring mode presumes that I don't know enough and I'll never know it the way you know it. Hmm. In losses, people experiencing great losses, for people to say, well, I know what you feel. Well, you you better be real sure of that mm-hmm. because I don't think you really do. I don't think any of us really do know and feel what someone else feels and what they've gone through. So I think in the caring mode, you're the exact opposite of presumptuous. If you're going to presume anything, you presume, I don't know what you feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that also means you're not here to make it work out. I think you have to have a mindset that says, my involvement in this communication situation is not to make this thing work out for the other. I'm not sure how it's going to play itself out, but I'm certainly not here to make it work out. In fact, I would say one of the, the real positive statements about caring is simply being present. Yes, I've, I've loved that term over the years, and that's a hard thing to do. It may sound on the surface that that's a very easy thing, but it isn't. And the notion is, my job is to simply be present to this other person, to be there for them. Go ahead. You want to jump in? Well, I, I know that we probably used this C.S. Lewis story before, but one of the stories related to his loss of his wife, Joy Davidman, to cancer. They hadn't been married that long, but Lewis says that in the aftermath of that loss, there were people who came and tried to cheer him up, tried to tell him things would be better, that he could still count on God, things would work out. And his response was, those people stayed five minutes and it was way too long. He said, there were others who came and didn't know what to do, weren't sure of what I was feeling or how I was feeling it, and they stayed an hour and it was way too short hmm. because they stayed with him in silence. They didn't presume that they understood what he was feeling. They didn't try to talk him out of what he was feeling. They didn't try to cheer him up. They just stayed with him. As you said, they were present with him in the midst of that. And it was a real caring choice. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt very strongly about that idea that Lewis was presenting, that there are people who, well-intentioned, really do think they can cheer you up. They really Mm -hmm. do think they can talk you out of whatever your issue is. And I think that speaks to your earlier statement about the depth of things. I think people who come in who want to make it better, and again, it's it's so consistently common and a part of this situation that we want to make this better, and we want to make it better in a hurry. And so we come in and we want to cheer the person up, or we want to make it positive. We want them to see the light, the goodness of everything. And the whole notion is we've ignored the depth of the emotion. We've ignored the depth of the impact of the situation upon the individual. And and that speaks to Lewis's comment. You know, we realize that we sound like we're lecturing, but this is so important to grab a hold of this distinction and hold on to it because you want to be caring people. You are caring people. And yet sometimes you come in in such a way that you don't realize that you've let go of that caring side of the equation and gotten into the curing side much quicker than you would have ever thought imaginable. And I think that one one area I like to give our listeners some relief in, if they're going to choose to step into a situation with someone else who's in a dark place, is what you bring that's the most helpful is your presence, 
not your wisdom, not your insight, not your answers, but the fact that you would just be in it with them. Mm -hmm. And you really don't need to have great expertise. The fact that you're willing to be in it with them is what will be of greatest help over time. Oftentimes, I think one of the reasons why it's so difficult to stay present and not do something is our own discomfort. Yes. We're uncomfortable with the situation. Uh We want something to work out. We want something to be different. And we're so desperate for that, that we find it very difficult to just simply stay in the moment, just be present. And yet what we're saying repeatedly is being present is what it's about. Caring is fundamentally about being present, about attending to the other. Again, I would say, I think one of the things that gets in the way of that, of feeling comfortable with that, is we're aware of our own needs. We're aware of our own feelings. We're aware of our own inadequacies in some moment. And so we say we just can't stay present. One of the things that I had done some time ago was to make a clear distinction between caring and curing and do some comparative between what curing is intended to do and what caring is intended to do. And I was going to kind of go there next. But any other thoughts before that? Unfortunately, I think one of the motivations for curing is for you to be the hero. Hmm. I think a lot of people don't necessarily go in and say, I want to be the hero, but if you could fix it, it would give you hero status. (laughs) And I think that that's unfortunate because in that situation, I don't think you ought to be in it to come out of it with a medal. Yeah. I think if you're going to go into it, you need to realize going in and joining this person, this has nothing to do with me in terms of my ability to help them. Mm. The only thing I want to provide here is presence. I want to let them know I'm in it with them. And it doesn't frighten me so much that I have to back out of it. I have to avoid them. I can be in it with them without having to change what it is for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you said that, I thought, yeah, all of us want to be heroic. I mean, there is in all of us a desire to to be the hero of the moment. And in fact, I've, I've noticed recently, I don't know if you've seen this bear picked up on this, but I have found, and it's more in the media, TV, and things like that, where people begin to refer to your superpower. Your superpower is patient. Your yes. superpower uh-huh. is this. Your superpower is that. And I think in this situation, what comes to my mind is we want our superpower, I'm going to say to the audience, we want our superpower to be caring, not curing. If in these situations, if I could give you a superpower, it would be caring. So to that degree, think about if I want to be a hero, it's not about hearing. My superpower is caring. And so one of the distinctions that I have made in the past is the distinction between caring and curing is that caring bears the burden. It simply is there to carry the burden, to bear the burden. Curing is there to relieve the burden, take the burden off. Great difference. And again, we, we go back to the presumption you're being very presumptuous to think you can relieve someone else's burden, but you're not being particularly presumptuous to say, I'm willing to bear the burden with you. I'm willing to stay in there with you and hear you and let you talk it out loud and in some small way, help to bear that burden. I think an, another one is, and again, a lot of this I find when I when I speak about the caring side, it's not easy. I keep going back and thinking, it sounds initially as if, well, I'm not doing anything but you're doing very hard things because the next one is you share the pain versus take away the pain. And that's not easy to share pain and to say, I can't relieve you of that pain. All I can sit here is somehow share it with you and I have no ability to take it away. Well, I noticed as a parent, if I look back on times when Matt and Rebecca were little, when they're in pain, it's very, very hard Mm. 
to just be there with them and know that there's nothing you can do at this moment. It will subside. But during that time, it's very hard not to be able to change that. That's a great example. You're right. It's very difficult to simply realize someone else is in pain. You're seeing their pain and to say, I'm going to try to share that with you. And you want so desperately to somehow ease that pain, to take that pain away. Another one, and we're actually getting pretty close to time, to live in the situation versus remedy the situation. We can't remedy the situation. That's curing. Again, we're going back saying you really can't do that even as much as you want to, but you can live in it. And that's back to this notion of being present. That's really what the picture C.S. Lewis created. That's really what the person wants. It's just someone to be there with them, to live in that moment and to share it with them, not to necessarily be able to correct it at all. And I would go so far in your use of the idea of superpower, and I'm laughing because I've felt like I've heard that an awful lot too, that people keep pointing to their superpowers. But I would say in this case, your superpower is being present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to really zone in on what you're really doing productively, successfully in your superpower, it's that you can be there. You can fully be there without having to change things, without having to make things different. And you can walk away from the situation saying, I used my superpower. Right. I used my superpower of being present. And and that's got kind of fun way of thinking about it. If you want to be heroic, make your superpower present. That's right. Being present. That's a great concept. And then the last one in terms of compare and contrast is that caring is about accepting the other and curing is about correcting the other. I thought of the book of Job on this one and thought that whole scenario between Job and his friends his friends wanted to correct the situation. His friends presumably were there to help him. But clearly what they wanted to do was correct him. And they could not They could not get to the point where they could accept what Job was saying as that's the real situation. And so I've always looked at Job and thought, those friends were worthless. <laughs> they were less than helpful. And, right, exactly. And irritating and aggravating and annoying uh, most of the time. And so I think the back to being present, using our superpower, is truly about accepting the other and where they are and saying it's okay. It's not okay what's happening, but you're okay. It's okay to be you and you're fully accepted versus, no, something needs to get corrected here. Something needs to change. It seems to me that what we're really saying to people, if you're in a position where you can offer to someone who's going through something difficult, curing or caring, you need to switch to caring. You need to try to move to that and exercise the superpower of being present and no more, no less. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. 